Welcome to episode 11 of This Is Her Story. Thanks for joining me for one more episode. I was able to have a sit-down interview with Pastor Linda Bynum. She's the family pastor at Devonair Church in Livonia, Michigan, and we are on staff together. She shares her story of highs and lows in ministry. Uh, She just has a fascinating uh, story. I think it's fascinating. I think you will enjoy it and learn some things. You'll be encouraged. And then we get laughing quite a bit towards the end of the interview. So it just ends on a, with a fun nuance. Anyway, uh, as we move into the Advent season, we just want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And we're looking forward to what 2019 will hold for all of us. Enjoy the episode. We really need to tell better stories instead of complaining about it, right? What if we just start telling the stories and flood the airwaves with something different? So let's just start by talking about your faith background. My faith background is a bit interesting because I didn't go to church as a child. And uh, the tradition that my parents had had some experience in was the Episcopal Church and they do confirmation in sixth grade. And so all of a sudden my parents decided I needed to be confirmed, even though we weren't going to church. Well, one of the first classes, the priest said to us that we need to be in church every Sunday. And that started our family going to church. It was a meaningful experience. And I even remember when the bishop laid hands on me, I was the the strange one who was walking out just really touched by what had happened, but didn't really understand until that following summer when I went to summer camp. And at summer camp, I um, met Jesus. And some people that introduced Jesus to me personally and became a Christian at that point. And I understood why confirmation had been so meaningful. God had that call from an early time that I didn't recognize until that point. So it was a weird experience because we came back and started sharing with our priest and his wife and my parents. And um, while they first thought we had been into something weird, they end up coming to a point where they all received Jesus in a personal sense as well. So it's an interesting thing because while um, my priest had been in ministry, quote unquote, for many years, he didn't, he had a meaningful relationship with God, but didn't understand Jesus in a personal way. And so we had that strange experience, literally, of leading our priest and his wife to Jesus. And uh, at 14, I was thrown up in the pulpit to tell everybody what had happened to us and share that experience of faith with our church. And as a new Christian, they were putting us in groups to, you know, start telling others in our youth group. And and we were just baby Christians ourselves. So it was a an interesting time that led me really to another church in addition to mine to begin to grow in my faith, to know what it meant to beyond just introducing people to Jesus. So it was kind of like an organic revival, really, right? <laughs> it was. It was kind of, it, it, really, when I think back, it was so amazing to see how hungry people were to receive it and you know, when they say a child shall lead them, that was kind of the way it really ended up 
being in, a, in our church and there was a big kind of revival that happened in, in our little Episcopal church through the few teens that, you know, the, the four of us that had gone off to camp and came back with a um, personal experience. And that was the uh, beginning of some pretty exciting times in our church. Talk about uh, when you, so you, you really f- had this experience, which I think is fascinating, that then at 14, you're basically preaching, right? Yes, Just yes. It was the organic. first time. Here, I want you to get in the pulpit and preach the good <laughs> news of Jesus. Well, I mean, that's what was happening. Yes. So when did that transition to you realizing that God was calling you to ministry? Well, as I said, I didn't have anyone to teach me at that point. And I started going to the local, it was actually a Presbyterian church because they had a strong, big youth group. And I got involved, started learning, and right away I wanted to be doing something. So I started working um, with the fifth, sixth graders. And then as I got a little bit older, I was working with the junior high and then on up to the senior high. And there was clearly just a a passion to be at the church every chance that I could. And the director of Christian education recognized something that I didn't even realize at the time and had invited me to come file files for him. And uh, I took that chance because I wanted to be at church all I could. Um, So while I still was going to my home Episcopal church, I was going on Sundays, I was spending all the rest of my time at the Presbyterian church. And I started... um, the filing for this Krishna director and he spent so much time talking to me and I kept thinking I'm not getting enough work done for you Uh, and it took me years down the road to realize how he was pouring into me as a youth uh, and it hadn't even realized the the incredible wisdom he was imparting to me the understanding of what it was to grow in Christ and and so I had that precious experience on top of just this amazing experience of working with youth pastors and I became kind of the right hand man to the youth pastors because I would do anything I could to be there and support what was going on and um, it just I knew at that point that I really enjoyed what I was doing but it wasn't until I'd gone off to college and I was in secondary ed which was kind of an interesting thing um, had some difficult experiences with um, with college experience um, that first year away, I actually got engaged, and it was to the man who had led me to the Lord, and he kind of fell away, and and so that didn't happen. I ended up moving back home with a broken heart and went back to this place that I loved, helping, and they encouraged me to go on this uh, wilderness expedition trip to be one of the, they needed a female leader at the last minute. They'd been training for months. I had one week with brand new hiking boots. I was say, that's, the, that's the hiking boots we've talked about. <laughs> that's right? the hiking boots that were not broken in. Uh, we went down into Appalachia and were on this two-week stress camp outing, uh, which I was waiting for the first girl to drop so I could drop. <laughs> it would be so. It was. It was a real tough experience, and yet uh, it was most of the way through that journey. One day when I had finally climbed my first mountain without kind of just being exhausted and and falling down, Uh, I got to the top and I heard God say, this is what I want you to do. 
And while it was only those words, I knew exactly what he meant, that this passion that I had for being at the church and working, that he was encouraging me into full-time ministry. So I went from secondary ed to accounting to then I went down to Taylor and I ended up uh, completing a degree in Christian education. That was your, so that's your Bachelor of Arts. That's my Bachelor of Arts. Then we had a fluke of a time where they were offering a day at the seminary and a, a lot of my friends, we all went over just to kind of have a chance to go off campus. So we went from Indiana to Ohio to Ashland Seminary and God said, this is the next step. Never had any dream of going beyond completing my, my bachelor's degree. And the next thing I knew, I found myself in seminary uh, working on a master's. But the hard part for me was there were so many women who were there who felt they had a right to be there. We're women. We have a right to ministry. And it so turned me off uh, that I ended up pursuing a master of arts in pastoral counseling and psychology. And really shied away from the pastor at that point because I never felt it was a right. Uh, so I, I did that. And uh, when I graduated, I ended up going what I understood my call to be was youth ministry. So I ended up going into to youth ministry at, interestingly enough, my home church, the Episcopal church. Now I come back as the, you know, kind of the favored child in a sense. Um, now the youth director at this church. So you that was your first assignment then. So your first ministry assignment was at the Episcopal Church, mm -hmm. like official ministry official assignment. Ministry assignment. Mm -hmm. And you were doing youth ministry, which I think is, not that I don't see you as a youth pastor, but I guess I've, I've always I was a lot younger then. <laughs> I've always known you as a like discipleship, like that's how it's kind of been your teens. But. Teens, yeah. Okay. I, I met you a lot later in life. <laughs> yes, yes. And there was a lot of years. I mean, I actually served as a youth pastor while I was in seminary, too. Then I was was in this position for a couple of years when um, some real tragedy struck in my church where um, there was um, just a, a devastating split in result of um, really this sin of, of leadership and it caused kind of a devastating split and they had to, they kind of eliminated my position because I couldn't be, I wasn't going to be fired. I had a great relationship in the, in the congregation. So they eliminated my position and I ended up spending about three months in this secular world at this company doing reception work. When some resumes I'd sent out, one was answered and I ended up interviewing and taking a position as a full-time director of Christian education in the United Methodist Church, which was so fascinating that it tied back to this time that, that Dan Chards put all this time pouring into me as the Christian ed director of, of the Presbyterian Church. I came into this position and I went, this is where I'm supposed to be. And I spent the next 22 and a half years uh, building the Christian education uh, in our church, from me being the only one, uh, we saw God bless so that, that, that my staff grew from just me to a full-time youth, a full-time children's, two part-time nursery directors, and we eventually had a full-time secretary. And that was just an incredible blessing to see 
that growth and that kind of um, just the concentration of effort in each of those areas in ministry. And then I oversaw all of that in the small group ministry in the church as well. You've seen the whole range. You've been small, medium, large, because that, that was a large church, right? Yes, it was a very large church. A lot of extra things, a lot of, and even with my children's uh, minister, I spend a lot of time um, with kids in their special events with the, oh, between Bible school and day camps and all the different kinds of things that, that we did. So it was, um, well, there was a lot of programming. My concentration was always to say Christian education is not about programs. It's about growth in a relationship with Christ. And programs are the vehicle to show, to live out that example, that this is a means to that growth and not that we are all about programs. A lot of victories, and but you had you had some serious trials. We did. Fairly we did. early on. Well, you had the first one in the Episcopal Church where moral failing, right? Yes, it was moral failing right on the leadership. Right. And then... I know there was a church split at the Methodist Church. We'll talk about that in a minute. But first, I want to talk about you got married. You're, mm-hmm. you're, you did not the first person you were engaged to didn't marry that person, but then you did get married to a man I met at Ashland Seminary, uh, who went on to become an attorney. And when he graduated, he moved back. He moved to, to here to Michigan, and we got married. And, we had only been married um, five years, and originally my heart was won over because I was going off to teach a retreat when I was in seminary, and he stopped, and he prayed with me, and just, you know, that was my heart's desire. It was always to have a partner in ministry, someone who supported, you know, both each other in prayer, and so uh, that kind of, you know, was really exciting, but unfortunately, only five years into our marriage, and and he found other women. Um, And so basically, I didn't want to be divorced, but at that point he told me, well, you know I don't love you, and I was going to divorce you anyway. So there was nothing to be able to restore. Um, I had hopes that we could work through it and that it would be restored, and that was clearly an avenue cut off. And so I figured I was going to lose my job, lose my husband, my home, you know, the whole, the whole bit. Uh, and was very blessed when the church embraced me in that brokenness and uh, started just kind of just having time to heal. They still loved me. I spent a lot of time, um, for me, the outlet of that grief was to pour myself more into my work and ministry. You know, somebody else would have said it was an unhealthy working relationship. For me, it was a healthy working out of the grief that I felt. And for me, it was not only the loss of a spouse, but my my dream of having children and a family. And and so I saw where I could either let that that broken dream control my future, or I could find other avenues. And so part of that whole thing in in children's ministry was I would tease the parents and say, they're all my kids. You guys get to take them home, but they're my kids. So I would have, you know, a couple hundred children. um, And and I did it. I mean, I think it was a real healthy kind of thing. It wasn't like I was overtaking their kids or whatever, but, but I had that chance to really pour in and love and 
through that found a lot of healing and a church that embraced me through that brokenness. And then they still benefited because I had a lot to, to pour in and a lot of time. And that was my sole focus and um, just a really, a, a really bless a real blessing in the midst of that, which then I think a lot of people expected that, they would find an excuse when they were thinking about divorce and coming to me. Cause with my counseling background, I oh, yeah. found a lot of people came to me and I think initially it was sort of like, so they could get permission to leave. And of course would find from me that that's not God's best for you. That God's best is for that marriage to be restored, to have a testimony of God's faithfulness and the brokenness. And so had many opportunities to minister um, to people that had gone through uh, fears, had had just thought about leaving, different things that had happened, and just be able to to sit down and walk that journey, which was such an amazing thing to see God restore so many people's lives. And it was the spirit at work in a powerful way uh, that turned, it's why 2 Corinthians 1 is my favorite passage you know, that blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we can comfort. And so we always have a choice of taking those tough things and just feeling sorry for ourselves or taking those experiences and using them to minister to others and bring wholeness and healing. And that was the joy that, well, I've always got this, unfortunate experience of being a divorced person, having a failed marriage, I can let that be the focus or the testimony of how God has used that in so many ways to bring healing and health and wholeness to others. And that's the choice that I, the the avenue I choose to take. (laughs) Yeah. And then God, and then God, you have an interesting redemption story after that. And amazing because I was done. I, you know, had my chance. I got married. I blew it. It wasn't gonna. I wasn't gonna do this again. My parents asked me to move back home because they wanted to travel, and I gave up my apartment, moved back to my house, um, only to find out my next door neighbor, who I'd lived next door to since I was two years old, had moved back in with his dad after his wife of 18 years finding someone else. And so we started with this kind of comfortable, safe, sharing more stories over the fence um, to realizing that we both had become sort of immersed in our work to the degree we did nothing else. And so we started saying, yeah, well, we could, you know, why don't you come golf on my church league with me? My partner's not going to be there today. And then he said, why don't you come on our church bowling league? And Interestingly enough, had both been in different United Methodist churches, but it was a matter of just this wonderful friendship, this safe environment, us sharing, I I can't imagine ever getting married again. So all of a sudden we finally realized that we were falling in love. And uh, by the time we told everybody else, they're like, we wondered how long it was going to take you guys to figure (laughs) it out. (laughs) So he has been, Jim has been the most incredible gift in my life. And that ministry partner that I had always dreamed we'd have in addition to just an amazing spouse. He's a pretty great guy. Yes. (laughs) We like him. (laughs) 
I guess I should have. I never. I didn't. I never asked you where you are, where you're serving right now. I was, that was which is usually what I do. But oh, start where you're serving. So at now. some point, I should say we're on staff together. Ah, <laughs> uh, um, yes. We'll, we'll talk about that later, I guess. So you were in the United Methodist Church, mm-hmm. and then something happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that caused you to leave that that position where you yes. were at. Yes. Uh, which is then how we ended up meeting. So just it talk is. about that ministerial crisis, I'm just going to call mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. and then how God redeemed it. There is something that has become an even stronger passion, having walked through some difficulties. And that is that when there are things that cannot be redeemed or um, relationships that cannot be, not be restored in, uh, and especially in this ministerial situation, um, when you are the staff pastor and not the lead pastor, it is your responsibility to do the church no harm or the leadership. Uh, and basically it was not a good situation. And I knew that meant that I needed to step down, which was a very difficult decision. I was having the children of children that I had and just had such a great relationship with the congregation and such a love for them. But it was clear that this was not going to be a reconcilable relationship, um, that he clearly wanted me gone. And I was having a hard time figuring out how to do that. So at that point, I um, had some time to plan, get my, my personal things in order, because uh, it was difficult walking away from a position with a good salary and benefits and and knowing that the right thing to do was to say, you know, I'm leaving to take care of my family. My parents are moving in with us. Was able to stand up to the congregation with them not really knowing what was going on and say, I need to 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 leave and take care of my family. And so I was able to go out on a high note, did no harm to the congregation. Uh, He was doing enough damage and I didn't, um, it was such that you don't, you don't confront those situations. Some of those are, it's not your place. So I went through that um, time where I really grieved that too, uh, leaving, but yet I knew uh, that I still needed to be in that Wesleyan tradition. And so that led some of the places we visited, which was interestingly enough, the first place was Detroit First Church um, of the Nazarene, and walked in there, met you that day. Um, you made all of us feel so welcome because it was my family and uh, a couple dear friends that that did know more of the situation with us. And we walked in and met you and met Pastor and we all kind of walked out of there saying, wow, is this it? The first place we go, is this it? Um, and we visited a couple others because we promised some friends that we would come see them and right. that were part of the, the split earlier. Uh, but we, we walked in knowing that that was where we were supposed to be. And it was very shortly after us making a commitment to become part of that church that God said, now. And now, I mean, just simple, sometimes it's only a word for me, but now meant now you are supposed to become a pastor. My former pastor of the United Methodist Church that I worked closely with for many years had great relationship, had always been trying to encourage me to be ordained. And I'd say, I'll ask God again, but he said no, you know, and it just wasn't supposed to happen in that particular setting. 
So I wasn't expecting it when I walked into the Church of the Nazarene and God says, now. So I didn't argue with them. I just said, really, you want this old lady to go ahead and do that? I mean, I felt like I was so far along in my career that that was a weird change. And yet, again, a delight and an incredible privilege is that um, God provided the the means I wanted to go back to seminary um, because I wanted to be more immersed in the holiness tradition. So I chose... Um, and really felt led to, to Nazarene Theological Seminary. And then God just provided the resources for me to be able to do that without, without debt. And, and just, it opened so many wonderful doors. And I've loved uh, the time and the ability to do that without having to move to Kansas City. Because right. I could still stay in and, and work uh, in the, on the church staff while I was. Yes, you've, so now you have a master's. In pastoral counseling mm-hmm. and a master of divinity, right? Correct. Demon? Yeah. Are you looking at a district, uh, district doctorate of ministry? Yeah, I'd love to. I actually had started a PhD back years before I had left the Methodist church, and then Jim and I got together, and I said, I am not taking a new marriage through a doctoral program. My grandkids, of which I am so blessed um, not being able to have children of my own, but Jim has three wonderful kids grown now, and we have 12 grandchildren. And that was hard when I was um, doing my Master of Divinity degree, and, and the thought of that, they're like, no, Grandma. You know, some of them just didn't want my <laughs> time all taken up in that again. So there was just that sense I'd love to do it, but I also love that I get to do stuff with them, and so the time's on at least on hold and so let's talk about how you are shaping how you're shaping future helping to shape future ministers uh in our denomination so right now uh, since you're ordained now church mm-hmm. of the nazarene you are part of the board of ministry which mm-hmm. is ministerial credential board and you're part of a new program that we launched five years ago well um, our current district superintendent launched called Ministerial Assessment Center. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you also teach the course of study. So that's uh, people who have a call to be ordained who can't go away to get another bachelor's or master's degree, so they can do it locally. So talk a little bit about, let's just start with course of study first. Talk about course of study. I was, I just am still feeling extremely blessed that soon after Uh, my ordination, I was given the privilege of teaching the first uh, my first course of study class. And that obviously answered a passion in me, that idea of, well, I can't go on and do the doctorate now because I was thinking I would do my doctorate, teach in seminary. So to be able to have an outlet of of teaching and, and more than just the academic, but to bring some practical aspects of ministry as we teach each of the module has just been um, incredibly exciting to me. Um, I had a great experience at NTS, but NTS never physically showed me how I baptize a person or how I do a wedding or a funeral or so that is some of the avenues that we've been able to bring in to course of study to help prepare both in practical sense, but then also in that the spiritual sense 
of formation and how you continue to be formed in Christ and that out of that comes how you lead your your congregation as well. So the course of study has been this incredible um, opportunity to pour into uh, those that have sensed a call, have moved into ministry, and there is that sense where um, you feel like the proud parent when you see somebody you've had some kind of an opportunity to pour into walk down that aisle um, for the ordination. It, that coupled with the MAC experience of the Ministerial Association, the Ministerial um, Assessment Center, together with those things have just um, allowed that opportunity to build relationships across the district and in, in future um, help to shape future pastors. Oh, I'm, I'm going to come back to that a little bit. Uh, talk about, just share one, maybe just one experience that you've had either in a class or maybe, or, or maybe even talk about uh, the MAC weekend. There's so many that it's hard to choose one. Um, one that does stand out to me uh, was someone who had been turned down for their license and they became part of our, our Mac team. And we had the opportunity of, of just spending some time with this particular candidate. And then year after year, as we interviewed this person, we were able to see how walking a journey with someone is so important because we saw that person really grow and, in their disappointment, they didn't walk away. They still knew that they were called and they still continued that journey. And we were able to help in their equipping um, along with other avenues. And we were able to see that person go from this, what looked like failure to something that gave them a, a greater resolve. And we got to see that person not only ordained, but that person like knocked it out of the park when it came to board of ministry on understanding holiness and and what a call to ministry meant and the whole board it was impressed with that ordination interview I, I remember that interview <laughs> I think we were all in tears to mm -hmm. see that transformation of that person and there's nothing um, better than being able to see that kind of um, joy of of walking the difficult and celebrating the joy of, of that success of commitment and and faithfulness to the call. Share with us something that you're working on right now that you're ex know, excited about or maybe you're not excited about it yet. <laughs> I don't know, but something you're working on right now. I think it's good for people uh, are starting to pers are pursuing the call, right? See how the underpinnings, what we're doing in the background, right? Mm -hmm. Other than just Sunday morning when we get up. This, uh, a couple of things that come to mind when we say that. And one is part of the, the draw to me when you um, offered the position of coming here with you uh, we had this great relationship already and i had so much admiration for you and and i really got the sense that devonair was that opportunity where we really live out what we talk about in discipleship we all say we need to be building disciples in, in christ and um, and reaching out in our community that we're to show jesus to everyone and and we say that all the time, but to really sense uh, that that is not only the focus of the ministry, but exactly what we're doing as we build a relationship right here in this community, that's 
that's been an incredibly excitement, exciting thing. And we have a lot to continue to do, a lot to continue to learn. And yet we are seeing over time relationships built that are significant and will have uh, significant impact. So that part was is just a blessing to be working in partnership with you and, and that I'm following your lead in it. But the other thing that's been pretty exciting is as we have kind of raised the bar with the Ministry Assessment Center, there has been the sense now that I've been teaching since um, 14 courses study, I felt like that same bar needed to be raised in, in courses study. Um, and so we're working to coordinate between all the instructors what we're teaching at least for the school year ahead and we're getting it on the website and we're we're starting to give the students an opportunity to see what's coming and to make some decisions the exciting thing is we're trying to work so that if somebody really wanted to step up their education experience within two years they could conceivably right. go through all 25 modules at least if we get a rotation basis so that they know within a reasonable time they can take all of them. Been fun um, to kind of help coordinate just some amazing people that are um, teaching in different areas and have us kind of all coordinate so that the students can make some good decisions, see what's coming, whatever we can do to kind of help make that even stronger than it already was. I see how it's unfolding, and I think this this is going to be solid. Uh, I mean, it's 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 strong now, but I went through course of study, and at that time it was it was challenging. Like if you didn't really 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 want it, it was like digging for gold to figure out what you're supposed to do next. Uh, it was just challenging, and I feel like now people have a a path like a, that they can. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, I know which way I'm going. I know what the path kind of looks like ahead of down the road. I can yes. see. <laughs> you know? Well, there was enough of us that had to try to figure out our way. Um, and I was blessed that I had you that gave me some direction that I didn't have otherwise. And, and uh, Pastor Blake. And uh, But for the most part, so many people, I think, just sense this call and they don't know what to do with it. And what are the next steps? And when God called me, I didn't even know that Nazarene Theological Seminary existed. Right. What did it mean to go to a seminary of our denomination? And so to have avenues and other people uh, and the mentoring program is so significant in that MAC part that helps people find their way on the journey, that you're not just out there totally on your own trying to go, what do I do next? And oops, I missed this. Yeah. Oh, was so. I supposed to? <laughs> I was supposed to fill this out. I'll never oh, no. forget. <laughs> I was like in what am I maybe my second class or something for course of study. All my classmates are talking about. Did you get your appointment yet? Did you get your appointment yet? And like, what are you talking about? And like, you know, to meet with credentials board. And I'm like, am I supposed to do that? <laughs> I'm like, and they're just looking at me like you're an idiot. <laughs> Oh. And when you don't know, and if there's no one to tell you, right. I think another big passion of mine is to help pastors understand how significant their role is in mentoring those that they, their congregation license for ministry, right. that they need to 
step up and say, okay, if I'm giving this local license to this person, I have a, a, a greater responsibility to help them know what this path looks like. Other people's crazies <laughs> <laughs> to create a positive path for somebody else. So I'm glad that we're it's the nature of life together. though, isn't it? It is. It <laughs> is. And then every time we have those choices that we can get mad about something we didn't know or frustrated or, you know, kind of expose it, or we can just choose to say, okay, now I understand. And I'm walking in this and then I could do something to help the next person along, which isn't that amazing. That's what discipleship's about. I know, isn't it? <laughs> so let's do a, a top 10 speed round. And, the, and then I'm going to ask you for, we'll close with some, advice for women pursuing the call but first thing that comes to your mind you ready okay okay introvert or extrovert extrovert barely (laughs) barely (laughs) way more than me (laughs) coffee or tea tea is my greatest preference but i like my coffee in the morning all right cool (laughs) chocolate or vanilla Mm, chocolate favorite hymn of the church it is well with my soul that's just your testimony. It is. It? it is. It's yeah. well with my soul. Favorite current contemporary Christian worship song? Who do I say I am? I thought you were going to say come to the table. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, and that, that is true. And actually, I think it's Reckless Love right now oh, as we're yeah. still there, right? There's so right. many that are wonderful. But, yeah, I think that come to the table, Reckless Love, those that get to the that idea that there is no one beyond God's grace. Dream vacation. Anywhere with um, Jim and Maggie in the trailer. (laughs) Just a campground somewhere, you know, by the lake. It's always a great thing. I don't have any big aspirations. I guess probably I still want to see the Grand Canyon. I haven't been. I've been to a bunch of continents and countries and still have not been to the Grand Canyon. So maybe I should say that. Nightmare vacation. Nightmare vacation. There's nowhere you'd want not want to go. Antarctica. Oh, yeah, yeah. Antarctica <laughs> would not be good. I, I don't really have a yeah particular desire to go into the heavily cartelled areas. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so down down that way, it's not particular. That's your positivity speaking. I'll make the best of anything. <laughs> yeah. like, it's hard, you know. It's vacation. How can it be bad, right? <laughs> Something you're not good at. Oh, my. There's so many of those. (laughs) (laughs) Something I'm not good at. I think I am not the one who necessarily puts together the vision, but I am one who can come along and support and further. That makes sense? Which is why I think our relationship has been so important to me because I see the the things that I'm not good at you are great at and I think it's been and it's been a real compliment (laughs) like I lean it on Linda (laughs) it's a great ministry partnership because I just admire so much that that vision that you have and that way of setting out and I can get excited and come alongside be a greatest cheerleader and take next steps but clean or messy desk prefer clean yeah (laughs) (laughs) organized and then something you would love to try it is crazy as that sounds I've done so many of those things anytime I see something I want to try I just go for it because the learner in me wants to to try new things all the time so I don't have like this thing out there that I 
want to do next right now, but when something comes along, I always jump in and want to figure out how to do that. So Yeah, you even dragged me to pet a bear. <laughs> That's right. We went and pet a bear <laughs> across the Mackinac Bridge. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, on a windy day, no less. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, Jim, don't blow off the bridge, please. <laughs> the bridge sways as we go across it. It's okay, really. <laughs> we don't want to lose six ministers at one time. <laughs> no. All right, so share some advice. And some of this is probably stuff you share often in your classes, right? But mm -hmm. share some advice you have for women pursuing the call. So either they're wrestling with the call or they've said yes and they're starting the process, but they're the two words come to me always is to exude grace. And that's a true for anyone in call with, if, that are pursuing a call. But I think especially um, as women pursue a call to not lose sight of it being uh, just that, a call to ministry, to partner with Christ in his ministry, not a a right that you have to do it, that you need to fight for a right or, you know, fight for a voice. I think as we are grounded in who we are in Christ and we are people who are women of grace, men of grace, that that speaks volumes as we move in, in ministry. And it will also serve well in relationships with your colleagues in ministry too, if you're a person of, yeah. of grace. It's never, I guess my real dream is to see a day where we don't even have to say women in ministry, men in ministry, whatever, that, that there is, is such a recognition that we are all, called in Christ and we don't have to to do those things that that separate us but right now we've still needed to encourage women that this is an avenue that is for you because I came from that same place of um, not feeling women had a right to or a not right not that women weren't called to ministry you know I had lived in that that fundamental fallacy for a lot of years until I was fortunate enough to have an associate um, pastor who challenged me on that and started opening up. That's still my dream is that there's that day when we recognize that all are called. Thanks for finally letting me twist your arm to be on the podcast. <laughs> oh, I guess. <laughs> you know, people kept saying, I can't believe you haven't had Linda Bynum on your podcast yet. <laughs> you have so many women with so much to say that it, uh, good things to say that, um, yeah, you had to kind of point out that maybe there was something that I could contribute to that. Yeah, you have some good <laughs> stuff to contribute. I All appreciate right. you. You too. <laughs>